you are now listening to an awesome sermon from the St. Louis Dream Center. Grab a pen and some paper. You're in for a treat. There's this quote that I found a few days ago called, Life begins at the end of your comfort zone. That life really begins at the end of your comfort zone. So what's, what's a comfort zone? It's a situation or a position in which a person feels secure, comfortable, or in control. How many control freaks do we have now? So, you know, oh, even the baby raised his head. Because <laughs> we like to be in control, don't we? We like to know where we're going, what we're doing. We like to know that the check's going to be in the bank on the second Friday and the fourth Friday or whatever, once a month. We want to know that our stuff is on lock. And what I found is that church in the Western culture cares more about comfort than they do about God. They have made God their Santa Claus. And God, as long as you make me comfortable, you're blessing me. You're taking care of me. You're, you're great. As a matter of fact, God, as long as you're making me comfortable, I'll sing louder, dance longer. Because you're making me comfortable. But I want to introduce you to a thought or remind you of one. That God didn't save you to make you comfortable. He saved you to make a difference. And as long as you're running after comfort, You will never be able to do the thing that God has placed in your heart to do. You realize God has a promised land. He has, there are two. There's the promised land that we have in glory in heaven. When the kingdom of God and Jesus sits on the throne and overtakes everything. But he also has a promised land for your individual life and your family. It's called your destiny. And if you're ever going to get to the place of your destiny, can I tell you, your destiny is the place where you are the highest form of yourself, where your life has the greatest place of fulfillment. Your destiny is the place where you have the greatest level of prosperity you can walk in on the earth, not just money, but yeah, that's divine health, divine, uh, in, the divine resources coming to you, as well as you get to live every day doing something you love doing. That is the destiny that God has in store for you. If you are miserable right now in your life, maybe you've not really tapped into your destiny. Because when the destiny that God has in store for you, as we sang, it's beyond your wildest dreams. But you don't get there being comfortable. As a matter of fact, I want to encourage you that if you're ever going to fulfill God's will, God's destiny for your life, you're going to have to be married to being uncomfortable. And when I walk through this thought, it's like, you know, we had a group out last Saturday, and last Saturday was our serve Saturday. So they were out praying for people coming by in cars. They were giving out hot dogs. They were ministering to people. And I would imagine that some of those people were not comfortable ministering on the corner of Kasuth and Newstead. For those of you that don't know where Kasuth and Newstead is, let's just say it's not the best spot to stand outside. And yet they were there on that corner ministering to people. You know why? Because they weren't concerned about being making themselves comfortable. They were concerned about making a difference. And you know what? I've learned this. It takes boldness to make a difference. 
You can't make a difference going with every wind of doctrine, jumping around with the way everybody talks, trying to please everybody and make everybody feel okay. Can I tell you a secret today? Everybody ain't, that's my North St. Louis coming out, everybody ain't going to like you. And as long as you're trying to make everybody like you, you will never fulfill the purpose and plan that God has for you because your destiny will offend some people. So what I've learned in this whole process for me, this is my journey. And what I've learned is that it takes boldness to do the will of God. And that there is an antithesis, there is an adversary, there is a a Lex Luthor to your boldness. And it's called fear. Proverbs 28 and 1 says this, the wicked flee when no one pursues them. But the righteous are bold as a lion. How many righteous people do we have in the house today? Amen. Amen. And so for those of you that did not raise your hand to say that I'm righteous, let me educate you. If you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you have given your life to Jesus at any point and you are walking with him, the Bible declares you righteous, not because you do everything right all the time, but because he does everything right all the time. So let me ask that question again. How many of us are righteous in this house? That's it. That's it. You are righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross, not because of your performance. And what the enemy wants to do is turn your boldness into fear. And the greatest adversary of boldness is a particular fear, the fear of man. The Bible says the fear of man ensnares us or entraps us, but he that trusts in God is kept safe. The fear of man can be summarized by this. You care too much about what other people think. You care too much about other people's opinions of you. You won't do what you're supposed to do because you're afraid that they may not like you. You won't say what you're supposed to say because you're afraid that they may distance themselves from you. And God is saying in this season, in this time with our world, in this condition, with kids being shot in schools and people being taken out on a regular basis in St. Louis, I don't need another church that's trying to police political parties or trying to make friends with everybody in the world. I need a church that's going to be bold and stand up for righteousness and call what's right right and what's wrong wrong because there is a world that needs to know that Jesus is alive that he died on the cross for them rose from the dead and gave us all power and we can change the course of this world but we gotta be bold to do it we gotta be bold one of the Synonyms of boldness is courage, assuredness, confidence. You know, it's like that, that almost arrogance without being arrogant. You know, when you know that you know that you know something and somebody tries to tell you that you don't know what you know, but you know that you know what you know. And it's like you'll stand on that. You know that you know what you know, even when they think that they produce evidence to say that you don't know what you don't know. But I'll tell you today, hey, anybody been sick and Jesus healed them? 
They can't tell me that God is not a healer. Anybody been in trouble when Jesus came through for you? They can't tell me he's not a way maker. Anybody been in trouble and he bailed you out? They can't tell me he's not a lawyer in a courtroom. And so I know that I know that I know what I know. And when I know that I know that I know what I know, I got to be bold about what I know. I got to be bold. See, what you think are your real problems are really symptoms of you fearing what other people think. Let me give you a couple of symptoms of the fear of man. Overcompetitiveness. You feel like you got to win at everything. Self-consciousness. You're always trying to mind read what other people are saying. They say, you look nice today. No, they didn't really mean that. What they meant was... Avoidance. You're at the grocery store. You know you need what's in aisle eight. But you go to aisle 10 because you know somebody in aisle eight and you don't want to see the person in aisle eight because you don't like the way that you look today. Insecure. You're afraid of people that are good in a certain area and so you think less about yourself because they're good at what they do when you're a 10 at what you do too. You're easily embarrassed. It's like, well, no, I don't, I don't want to walk up front because they may, you know, I'm embarrassed about being in front of people. You're easily peer pressured. You care what other people think too much. Overly sensitive. You got control issues. You got to control everything. Shyness. You're like, I'm just shy. I'm just a shy person. No, you don't like something on your body or on your face. So you say that you're shy when you're just self-conscious and that fear of what other people think keeps you in the background. You are defensive. My God. If somebody comes to you with any kind of correction, it's like World War VIII. (laughs) Because that fear that when they're talking about something you're doing, you think they're talking about you as a person. You're afraid of failure. You won't try anything because you're afraid that if I try something, I might fail at it. You're codependent. You could be in Hawaii on a beautiful vacation, and because you don't have somebody with you, you're like, this is miserable. Fool, you're in Hawaii. You gossip. You gossip about people. You talk about other people because, really, you gossip about other people because you don't like yourself, so you put somebody else down so that you can feel better about you because they say, well, dang, if they're like this, you must be pretty all right. And the last one, and the most prevalent in the church, fear of rejection. You're afraid that if you do that thing, that if you say, God says, tell this person I love them. You're at the grocery store, at the register, and the Holy Spirit just taps you and says, hey, just say Jesus loves them. And you're thinking, I or me. What if they look at me like I'm crazy? What if they think I'm out of my mind when the God of this universe is telling you this person, I'm using you to give this person life right now, and all you can think about is you? It's the fear of man. I was at the I was at the doctor, I guess it was a couple of months ago, and so I was getting ready to check out, and there was a lady who was dealing with cancer. And she walked up behind me with her daughter. And they were getting ready to check out and pay just like me. And as I'm standing there, Holy Spirit is like, pray for her. And I'll be real with you in that moment. I'm like, 
huh? We got, you know, at the doctor's office, you got a nurse here, a nurse there, the nurse collecting money. You got people over there, and then you got this lady and, and her, uh, her mom who has cancer. And I'm like, that, this is crazy. I'm in the middle of all of these people. And then it hit me, um, I, me. You're telling me to pray for her, and all I can think about is me. I stopped my transaction, turned to that woman, and just prayed for her. And I didn't pray, and I didn't look to see, okay, God, was she healed? Was she delivered? Is she slain in the spirit? My job was to simply obey. And it's God's job to do the rest in her. How many opportunities have we missed to minister to people, to give life to people just because we're thinking about ourselves? And here's the thing. You hold the keys to life. You hold the keys to hell and death. You're an heir to God's kingdom. You're a child of the almighty God. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is who you are. But because you don't know who you are, you think what you have isn't worth it. Even if they reject you, this is what God says. When I tell you to go somewhere, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. You're going in my name. I'm telling you to go. And what we don't understand, and this is the part that can be heartbreaking. How many moments have we passed like that? When we could have healed somebody. When we could have brought encouragement to somebody. But we were so focused on us. That we didn't do it. There's this scientific phrase. And I'm introducing you to it today, but I'm going to expound on it in a couple of weeks. It's called neural pathways. Now, neural pathways are simply, it's, it's, it's called the super highways of nerves called that transmit messages. You travel over the super highway many times and the pathway becomes more and more solid. You may go to a specific food or cigarettes for comfort over and over, and that forms a brain pathway. And so a neural pathway is simply a road that you travel over and over again that becomes a habit that you form. So, example, Ange in the 10th grade, she was in a car, uh, not a car accident, but an almost car accident. She was in the car with some friends from high school. Everybody fell asleep, including the driver. They all wake up. The car is spinning in circles. So what that did for her is you fast forward 10 years from there when we got married. Because, you know, she's so young. I I, I robbed the cradle. But that's okay. I, I love you, though, baby. But what I found is every time we drive and I put my foot on the brake a certain way, or somebody gets over a certain way. She is reminded of that incident in the 10th grade when she was all almost in that accident. And what has happened over the course of years is she's responded the same way. And that path has become more and more solid. People that have drug addictions, what ends up happening is you've learned to cope with life through the drugs. 
And so it ends up happening. You can come to an altar and God can deliver you and he can set you free. But if your mind is not renewed, it is as if your body is still craving the very thing that the spirit has already delivered you from. See, what we have to understand is there were, there, in, in our lives, there were fragments, there was an incident, there was a trauma that caused us to respond to life a certain way. Maybe in the third grade, your teacher told you you'd never amount to anything. Maybe your parents told you that you're a failure. And what happens is those things become thought patterns that keep us from ever doing anything significant. Because we get used to responding to life on that pathway. And every time you respond to life on that pathway, it becomes more and more solid. That's why you got to renew your mind. Because the Bible says that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. That means Jesus saves us and brings us into eternity, but our minds are not renewed so we can be eternal beings still living as raggedy as somebody that doesn't know Jesus. And what happens in that place for a lot of us is some fracture in our past has called us to walk in excessive fear which robs us from walking in the boldness that God has for us. Excuse me. I'm just playing. No, that was, that was some of the computer. I just wanted to break it up for a little bit. <laughs> I can see you all are intently looking. So that was, that was a computer for real. <laughs> Those habits on that pathway become what we call our comfort zone. Anytime somebody wants you to move out of your comfort zone, your mind starts going into full red alert. Ah, no, no, no. I'm comfortable with this. I know that these drugs are robbing me of life and everything, but I'm used to being on drugs, so I'm comfortable with this. I know that premarital sex has landed me with five babies and eight daddies. I know, do the math, I don't get it either, but... Because this is comfortable for me. This is my comfort food. This is what I run to when life isn't right. It becomes this pathway that only Jesus can overtake when you renew your mind to what he says about you. So let's get to my boy, Josh, or Joshua, as some of you all may know him. Here's Joshua. Joshua is Moses' servant. He sits in the second chair. Moses is the head honcho. And as he walks through this, God comes to him. After, and this is him. He's, he's watched Moses part the Red Sea. He's watched Moses talk to God and manna came down from heaven. He watched Moses. He went back to Pharaoh 10 times and 10 plagues broke out. And so everybody looked to Moses because Moses was the man. And one day, because Moses decided not to obey God, God took Moses out of the equation. And he comes to Joshua and says, hey, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you are going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And here's the thing. Joshua was comfortable in the second chair. If anybody had a big decision to make, oh, go talk to Moses. If a problem came up, yeah, Moses, he's the one with the staff. I don't have the staff. They didn't didn't give me a staff, so Moses has it. Go talk to Moses. If problems broke out, go see Moses. And now, one day, he's following Moses with millions of people following them. And now God says, hey, Joshua, 
Now you are my new Moses. After watching everything that Moses did. And as he looks at this, he had to be terrified. You say, Pastor Tony, how do you know Joshua was terrified? Because in the matter of nine verses, God says to Joshua four times, be strong, be courageous, be confident, be bold, be strong, be courageous. He says to him, listen, I'm with you wherever you go. And this is what these three things that I want to drop into your spirit, because you are God's Joshua. God has a Joshua moment for you. And although we don't have the same assignment, God has an assignment for you that he's called you to. And the assignment that he's called you to, yes, it will take you out of your comfort zone. You will feel like you have no idea what's going on or where you're going. There will be moments in your journey where the the compass is not working right. You say north and I feel south, God. But it is in those moments where God is doing some of his greatest work. Because let me say this to you, where you are right now, you're comfortable with. Today, where you sit, whether you like it or not, it's a sum totals of the decisions that you've made over the past five years. And if you don't like where you're sitting right now, maybe the thought is you didn't lean into the right decision maker when you were making your decisions. And I want to tell you, if you want to get to where God wants you to be, that place where you're actually working, doing something you love, that place that you feel fulfilled and everything is taken care of, get ready. Your new relationship is going to be with discomfort. And this is where Joshua was. Well, Lord, I've never led this many people before. Well, Lord, I've always depended on Moses to get us where we were going. And now God is saying, nah, it's on you. Matter of fact, there's this great scripture in Joshua chapter 3 and 23. This just came to me. Is that they're trying to figure out where to go next. And God says, listen, follow the Ark of the Covenant because you haven't been this way before. The Ark represents the presence of God. He's like, Joshua, you don't know where you're going. You don't have a frame of reference for this. Mama and daddy didn't do it before. Grandma didn't go to college before. All of these people have never done what I'm telling you to do. But if you follow the Ark, if you follow my presence, I will take take you somewhere you never thought you would go, do things that you never thought you would be, sit with people you never thought you would sit with, live in a house that you never thought you would live in, have a wife that you never thought that you would have, have kids that you never thought would do what they were going to do. Why? Because as you follow my presence, I will direct you right where you need to go. Don't look at the fact that you don't know where you're going. Don't look at the fact that if you feel comfortable and I'm not comfortable, all you need to do is know, do you have peace about where I'm taking you? And he gives Joshua these three thoughts that I want to give to you today. The first thing for you to be able to launch forward and and walk out what God has called you to for your promised land, you have got to be confident that God sent you. You got to be confident that he sent you. Too many of us go after things just because we want it. We go after relationships just because she's cute or he's cute. 
We go after situations just because we like it. How many of us stop for a moment and say, Lord, is it you? Not Lord, is it comfortable? Not Lord, is it, not Lord, is it pretty or is it nice or is it this? Lord, is it you? You know, when God tells me to do something that doesn't make sense, that seems impossible, I have one question for him when I feel that sensing or nudging because we're human and we can get off a little bit. None of us have this thing perfect, but I've learned one question. Lord, is it you? Because if it's you, then I know every obstacle is going to bow, every challenge is going to kneel, and everything that comes against your name, will, it will fall subject to what you've called to do. He said, be confident that I sent you. Joshua, no man's going to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I I meditated on that one day. As I was with Moses, well, how was God with Moses? Well, let's see. When Pharaoh came against uh, Moses, God parted a whole sea and destroyed a whole army. And all Moses had to do was lift a stick. When, when, When Miriam and Aaron tried to come against Moses' leadership because they didn't like the fact of where he was with God, God took care of them. And what I learned is God, when he sent you, he's going to protect protect you. He's going to cover you. He's going to anoint you. He's going to promote you. He's going to deliver you. He's going to empower you. He's going to give you creative ideas and witty inventions. Why? Because when I sent you, I didn't send you to lose. I sent you to win. But you got to know that I sent you. The days of just doing your own thing. If you want to walk in this kind of anointing and this kind of destiny is over. John 15 and 16 says, hey, (laughs) you've not chosen me. I chose you. And this is what I love. I have appointed and placed and purposely planted you so that you would go and bear fruit. He says, I didn't just listen. You don't understand. John's speaking to us. You didn't choose me. You said that I found Jesus. When was Jesus lost? (laughs) He found you. He said, I chose you. I've appointed you. Not only have I appointed you, but but I have placed you. I have put you right where I want you. I have have purposely planted you. See, we don't allow God to plant us anymore. We uproot ourselves and our whims and our desires. It's like, I don't like the way they looked at me. The pastor didn't speak to me today. Somebody didn't do this, so I'm just going to bounce. And the Bible says that when we're planted, that's when we flourish, but we don't allow God to plant us anymore. We just move and jump around like crazy people, and we wonder why God isn't doing anything significant is because when he begins to do something significant, you uproot, have to reroot, reflower, redevelop the plant, and it has to start growing all over again. (laughs) You're on your fifth job in six years. You're on your fourth church in five years, and you wonder why, God, why haven't you moved? Why do I keep seeming, why, what's this ceiling over my life? And it's because he purposely planted you, but you keep uprooting yourself. 
See, when I know that God has sent me somewhere, I don't move until he tells me to go. You could offend me, you could kick me, and you could do whatever. But until God says go, I'm not going. You know why? Not because I want to be kicked, punched, or offended. Because I don't like either one of those. But what I've learned is when God sent me somewhere, that full experience is a part of my development. The parts that I like and I don't like. The parts that I run to and the parts that I run away from. I am being developed. So when I'm offended or hurt in the situation and God didn't tell me to go, it's like, God, you must be working something out inside of me. And if I know that he's working something out inside of me, I know he's working something out of me so that I can be ready to go where he's called me to go. It was interesting when we were in Chicago for that time. My mother-in-law, you know, when Ange was unemployed, and you heard me tell the story. But she, she was just our greatest encourager. And she was like, don't worry. Don't be anxious. God's coming through. She said, he sent you to Chicago. Since he sent you there, he's coming through. And he did come through. And all we had to do was be confident in the fact you sent us. So in any of the areas <laughs> that you're not sure, it's time to get sure. Did he send you there? Did he call you to that? Because it's in the place he sent you that the blessing is in. Second thing, you got to be confident in the fact that God is for you. That he is fighting on your side. That you don't have to fight this thing by yourself. That a matter of fact, while you're trying to fight this thing by yourself, God's sitting there and he's like, okay, you tired yet? You, you tired of trying to fix it? You tired of trying to make it happen? Let me know when you're tired. Let me know when, when you're done. Because while I'm working, God's resting. While I'm resting, God's working. And it's interesting that when I know Joshua, he didn't ask to be put in the first chair. He didn't interview for it, didn't turn in a resume. When the job opening was there, he didn't lobby and get people on his side. When the job opening was there, he was probably minding his own business, probably like, man, I wonder who's going to take Moses' spot. Some big shoes to fill. It's like, well, I'm just going to wait and see who God uh, has in store for this. They got to be a pretty spectacular guy because Moses did some significant stuff. And then one day in his prayer time with God, God's like, oh, yeah, by the way, Joshua, it's you. Me? Am I being punked? Is there a hidden camera somewhere? Me? But, you know, when you know that God put you there, you know that he's fighting for you. That's called, we call it sweatless victory. And in Joshua 1 and 5, he says, hey, no man's going to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. And he says, I'll never fail you nor forsake you. So he's like, I got you. I'm for you. But everybody else is against you. So what? I'm for you. But everybody else is gossiping against me. So what? I'm for you. But they don't like what I stand for and they don't like what I'm doing. That's all right. I'm for you. I created you. I'm for you. And when I'm for you, all the resources in heaven are fighting on your behalf. What does that mean? The angels are at your disposal because I'm for you. My resources are your resources. Because I'm for you, 
because I sent you. When you need it, I release it. All you got to do is ask for it. And I, it's interesting. Y'all like, oh, he dropped the iPad. It's rubber. <laughs> In Psalms 56 and 9, it's not on the screen, but it says, Then my enemies will turn back in that day when I call. For this I know, God is for me. Come on, just say, God is for me. He is not against you. He is not looking for you to fail. He is looking for you to succeed. He is actually, he wants you to succeed more than you want to succeed. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. We have an unfair advantage against the rest of the world that when we walk into something that we've got supernatural dunamis power activated inside of us to give us an advantage over everybody and everything because he's for me. And then the last one, God is with you. So, Pastor Tony, what's the difference between God is for me and God is with me? Because God is for you means God's fighting for you. He's taking care of the things that you can't take care of. But when he says God is with you, he says, I'm right there with you in the midst of the storm. I'm with you. The storm isn't an indicator that I'm not with you. The storm is actually an indicator that you're right where you should be doing exactly what you need to do. And if you could trust me in the storm, you will see that on the other side of this storm is something so significant that you may not thank me ever for the storm that you walked through, but you will thank me for what you got out of that storm when you went through it. I am with you. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. This is this is my go-to, y'all. For he God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. Hmm. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down. Or relax my hold on you. Surely not. So take comfort when you're out of your comfort zone. You can take comfort in this. And you can be encouraged and confidently and boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear. I will not dread or be terrified. What? can man do to me? What can what somebody thinks about me do to me? What can other people's opinions do to me? Because the God of this universe is, he sent me, he's for me, and he's with me fighting every battle. Didn't you enjoy that word? If you live in the St. Louis area or ever plan to visit, we'd love for you to join us at one of our services at 4324 Margareta at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. services. Be blessed. We hope to worship with you soon.